Growing up, uh, my parents weren't Christian. They didn't serve Jesus. We went to the Catholic Church on Christmas and Easter. My family was just in and out of prison, um, gangs, um, drugs, and alcoholics. And once I got to high school, I just noticed things that I didn't want my life to be like. So I wanted to change. I wanted to be different, but I didn't know how. And there's this one family that loved Jesus, and they showed me this different kind of love that I didn't understand when I was 15, 16. And once I had my kid, I got married at 18, and we had a son uh, soon after. And I just didn't want him to grow up seeing the things that I saw. Um, I didn't want him to live the life that I lived. I just wanted something different for my son. I wanted him to grow up experiencing the love that I experienced with that family. So when we uh, made the decision to come to Christ, we didn't think we could make friends here at such a huge church. So we would come and leave and that was it. We weren't make, meeting people, we weren't serving, we weren't doing anything, but we just felt like something was missing. And after a while, I started meeting people and God just met me here where I was at. And I just always felt alone. And, Jesus has filled that void right away. The Bible says a church is like a body, right? So Christ is the head and we're all the different parts of that body. And I wanted to be a part of that. So I got involved in the middle school ministry uh, flip side. At first I thought, okay, am I ready to do this? Like it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to be draining. But it really hasn't been. It's been filling to me. I was wrong about not being able to have community at Christ the King, not being able to make friends. I have a huge family here um, because I decided to make this, that, take that step and get involved. I decided to serve the church that I belong to and something was missing when I was just coming in on Sundays and leaving. And God showed me that when I come and serve, I'm not just serving Him. He's serving me at the same time. and introducing me to these people at a huge church that I never thought I could have friends at and community at and he's totally changed my mindset on that and while I'm serving I don't even feel like I'm really serving I feel like I'm being served I feel like Jesus is just pouring out into me he's just making me stronger he's just filling me up it's been awesome my name is Marcos Suante and this is my story That's awesome. You got a front row seat on Marcos' story. We've been having a front row seat on a, uh, on a story from the Old Testament as God has been bending the character of a 17-year-old kid by the name of Joseph. So I want you to grab your Bible, Genesis chapter 40, or you can grab, this, uh, grab the CTK app on your mobile device too. I want you to follow along. But um, as time goes, you know, people tend to miss certain weeks. And so I just want to catch everybody up to speed as we unpack this story. Here's what we've learned so far. We've learned that Joseph was a favored son. That Joseph's dad, Jacob, played favorites, and this caused a huge rift in his family. Joseph didn't ask to be the favorite of the family, he just was. Then we learned that Joseph was a dreamer. God talked to Joseph in dreams. He would show him pictures of the future, and he also gave him the ability to be able to interpret dreams. I had a dream this past week that I was performing interpretive dance in front of a group of Christ the King pastors. I would love to know what that really means, okay? Because that's just weird, all right? 
It is. Okay, anyway, we also learned that Joseph used his spiritual gift in an immature way. God gave Joseph two dreams about the future, and instead of handling them in a mature way, Joseph used them to build himself up, and it just created an even deeper rift in his family. The rift got so big that Joseph's brothers actually sold him into slavery. They were going to kill him, but in a moment of high moral consciousness, however you want to call that, they decided just to sell him instead. So Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt. And last week we learned that Joseph experienced God's presence in confusing times. We talked about the tension that happens when the Bible says that God is always with us, but you wouldn't know it by the surrounding evidence. And we looked at Joseph's life, and and we're like, it keeps saying over and over again, and God was with him, and God was with him, and God was with him. And we're reading the story going, it doesn't look like God's with him. Because he ended up last week in prison. He goes to work for an Egyptian named Potiphar. And Mrs. Potiphar actually kind of gets all hot and bothered about this young guy named Joseph and invites him to have a sexual affair with her. And Joseph refuses. And this is what we also learned. Joseph was put in prison for making a godly choice. He did the right thing and he still ended up in prison. He's getting punished for something he didn't do. And that's where we find Joseph as we begin reading in Genesis chapter 40. Let me read the first couple of words. Sometime later. Let's just stop there for a second, okay? Let me give you a perspective on the sometime later. Joseph was in prison somewhere between 11 and 13 years. We start the story when he's 17. Next week, they're going to give us a qualifier that he's going to be 30 years old when something amazing happens. Somewhere between 11 and 13 years, this guy's in prison for doing the right thing. So don't think this is three hours, three days, three months, or even three years. We're talking a decade plus. If you follow the timeline, we learn this is a long process. This is not one of those, you know... These moments drive me crazy. You know, God, I, I labored for three whole minutes and God didn't do anything. Really? Three minutes? This is not one of those moments. Joseph's there for years with his questions and his thoughts. And I don't know about you, but long periods of time like that can produce disillusionment in my soul. My prayer this weekend is that if you've been carrying a burden for a really, really, really long time, that if nothing else comes out of this, that you'll be encouraged with the fact that here's a guy in Scripture who God was with that had to handle something too for a really, really, really long time. Many of you have been carrying stuff for a long time, and maybe you're just right on that edge of, of deciding whether you're going to give up or not. Many of you have lost the passion to continue to pray and, and believe that somehow God still cares about us in those dark nights of the soul. And my prayer again this week is that you will see that this young man is being sustained with one simple thought and belief, that God is with him. The Bible goes on and says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Okay, this is not theologically deep. It's just a question that jumped into my head when I read that sentence, okay? What does a cupbearer or a baker have to do to tick off their boss, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so much that he puts them in prison? Like, as a cupbearer, did you spill, right? Is that what got you thrown in prison as a baker? You know, were the croissants not fluffy enough? Did you forget the blueberries and the pancakes? I mean, what did you have to do in order to get thrown in prison? Because obviously it's bad enough that it ticked off Pharaoh, and he's like, throw him in a dungeon. I'll let you know when to let him out. Yeah, you think your boss is harsh? Check with this, okay? 
Verse 2 says this, Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Okay, you've heard this saying before, misery loves company. And so I'm sure these guys had an amazing time sharing and bonding over how bad life was. You know, the cupbearer is just like, yeah, I got thrown in prison because I spilled. The baker's like, I got thrown in here because the, you know, the bread was flat or whatever. And Joe's like, I had these brothers. You wouldn't believe it. They get together and they just start sharing. And scripture says in verse 4, after they'd been in custody for some time, there it is again, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meeting of its own. When Joseph came down the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Okay, let's just stop there for a second. Because do you remember? Rewind yourself in the story, okay? At the beginning of the story, Joseph has tree, two dreams about his future. And he doesn't bring God into the equation of all. And that's what gets him in so much trouble. He just blurts out these two dreams to his brothers, and his life goes completely sideways. But this time, dreams come up, and the very first words that pop out of Joseph's mouth are, don't interpretations come from God. Right there in that moment, we see irrefutable evidence that God has bent Joseph. He's different. I love this. Just in that little phrase. Joseph is focused on the gift giver and not just the gift. I mean, immediately, the conversation is not about what amazing things Joseph can do. It's not about his gift or his ability or his spiritual stature. All of a sudden, no, it's just like everything is about God. It's about the gift giver, not the gift deliverer or the gift recipient. We see it right there. Joseph states the source of all spiritual gifting. It's like, this is not my gift. This interpretation is going to come from God. It belongs to God, and he's chosen me as a humble vessel for his glory and, for not, and, and, and not, not for his. I mean, I love this. Joseph wants to get the credit in the right place. He's, he, it's as much as he says it. If anything good comes out of the use of this gift, then all the credit needs to go to the gift giver, not the gift recipient. He's basically begging these guys, just keep your eyes off of me. You keep your eyes on God. Any gift that anybody has, all of the glory that comes out of that belongs to him and to him alone. As gift recipients, we don't get any of the square footage on the marquee. It also says Joseph has chosen the position of humility. I mean, has he changed from when he started talking to his brothers or what? Now all of a sudden he's just like, I'm just a guy with a God-given ability and the gift bearer is nothing without the gift giver. He's living out the scripture that says in the New Testament, apart from him, I can do nothing, nothing. I can hear just Joseph just thinking, I got this wrong once, but now here I am. I've been humbled. I've been refined by years of bending, and I'm going to get it right. So guys, if you want an interpretation, I'm telling you that can only come from God. But here goes. Okay, before we move on, every single person in this room who's a follower of Jesus Christ has a gift or gifts. And God gave them to you to use for His glory. Not for your glory. 
You'll hear us say this if you hang around here for any length of time. When pride walks onto a stage, Jesus walks off. So nobody gets to claim any of the glory. It's all for him. But I also want to say this. If you're not using your gift, you're withholding from God's people the beauty of your gift. If you're not using your spiritual gift, you are demeaning what God gave to you. Your gift was given to you so you could use it. So the theological implication is this. Use it. Use it. If you don't know what your gift is, ask. Find out. You see, when we don't use our gifts, people go without. That's not cool with Jesus. It's not cool with me. It shouldn't be cool with you. It's about you using your gift to bless the God who gave it to you. And like Marco said in his story, it's not always easy and it's not always convenient. But when you give God to God in that way, he blesses and pours back unbelievable blessing into our lives. Now, here's the reality for some of us. We have a gift, but we stopped using it a long time ago because we used it once and somebody did something that ticked us off and so we got hurt. And so we've been playing spiritually dead ever since. And we get caught up in this whole thing that basically goes like this. When and if God does something good, then I might decide to get in the game. But in the meantime, I'm going to do what I want to with my gift, which for most of us is nothing. You don't get to play spiritually dead at Christ the King Community Church. Are we just clear on that? If you've got a gift, you better be using it. Because God has called us to step across the line and actually use those gifts. And Joseph's like, man, I got it wrong once, but I'm going to get it right now. You know, Joseph had every reason in the book to just kind of fold up his arms and crawl in a corner and say, I'm just not doing anything at all. He had every reason to not use the gift, but when we find him all of these years later, meeting with these two guys, what's he doing? He's being faithful and using the gift that God has given him. That was a subtle way of saying, get in the game. I got one amen. That was a subtle way of saying, as believers in Jesus, we're supposed to get in the game. Here we go. Listen to Joseph use his gift. Verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you'll put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. That's good news, isn't it? You're going to get put back into the position that you came from. You're going to get your old job back. Congratulations. That's awesome for you. And then the conversation changes for a second. Joseph says, okay, I just did you a favor. And I'm going to ask you for a favor too. The favor is going to go like this. I've been in this prison for a really, 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 really long time. So I am hoping you'll indulge me with a moment of humanity because I have a simple request. I'm glad that you're going to get out of here in three days. But when you do, could you do me a favor? Verse 14. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. 
I mean, Joseph still wants out. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon. I mean, Joseph uses his gift and he shares his dream as well. And the dream is the same as it would be for any of us. I don't want to be here anymore. I want out. I want out of the pain. I want out of the hurt. I want out of the worry. I want out of the angst. I want out of the school classes that seem to be taking forever for me to get through. God, I just want out. Put this truth in your outline. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be released from a burden. Absolutely nothing wrong. But true faithfulness is defined by how we handle ourselves when the burden is still there. Joseph, if he wanted to, could have curled up in a corner of the prison and say, I'm not doing anything until God shows up big. He could have. But instead he said this, I'm just going to be faithful. Whether God shows up big or not. If I don't get to use my gift with everybody else, I'll, I'll use it with these two guys that God put right here in front of me. That's cool. Because my faithfulness is not determined by the circumstances that I'm interpreting around me. My faithfulness is determined by the fact that I serve a faithful God. I love the fact that he chooses to be faithful in the circumstance. Can I tell you the reason why? Because Joseph's figured something out. He's figured out that he's absolutely confident of one single fact that sustains him. And that's the fact. That in spite of what everything else may look like on the external part of his life, he's absolutely confident that God is with him. You know, it's really cool when God uses your gift in a cool way, right? You know? I love it when I get to use my gift of teaching and it actually blesses somebody. What I don't like is when I use the gift and nobody gets blessed, right? That's no fun. Well, here comes Joseph, right? Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that Joseph was given, a, or Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, so he's like, wow, that was a good one. That was a good dream. You're getting a promotion. You're going to get out of here. Hey, Joseph, I'm next, right? He said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days... Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. <laughs> Wee! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's getting a promotion? You not so much, right? Uh, wow. Sometimes the gifts are hard. They just are. Verse 20, Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. And he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials, and he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Ouch. Remember the tension we felt from last week? It's right back again. It's kind of like, no, whoa, 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 whoa. Why doesn't everybody get all the good stuff all the time? Why doesn't Joseph get sprung? I mean, and without jumping ahead in the story, I just want to point this out, okay, but you're going to have to save it for next week. Here's the truth. God is always preparing us for the next platform. Let me, let me just ask you this question. 
this thing that you're going through, whatever that happens to be, the, the, the thing that just kind of is ripping at your soul and pushing down on the top of your head, that long-term burden that you're bearing, have you ever considered that it's not punishment but simply preparation? Have you ever considered that God may be bending you into the shape of a different kind of instrument that you never could have been used in that form before until you were willing to walk through some of the fire, until you were willing to be reshaped, until you were allow, would allow, with the belief that God is with you, allow Him to, to just have free reign in shaping you and sharpening you and moving you around. What if it wasn't punishment? What if it was simply preparation? Getting you ready. He delivers this tough news. The reality is Joseph is going to be delivering news on a very different platform for the rest of his life. It's preparation. Many of us are in a season of preparation and the key in those seasons is to faithfully go about God's business and use what He's put right in front of us because He who is faithful in small things will be used for greater things down the road. This is as practical as this series is going to get. When you are so low and so broken and so hurt, and you don't know what to do next, you do what Joseph did. You just take the very next logical step that's directly in front of you, that is dictated by your knowledge and simple faith in the fact that God is with you. So this afternoon, my, my son bought a car and I was helping him with the insurance title thing. They left the price blank. And I'm standing there in the line at the licensing thing going, I could write whatever I want to in that line. I could make this extremely cheap for us if I wanted to. But how would my life be different if I was absolutely convinced that in every moment, no matter how small or insignificant, no matter how good or how bad, how would my life be different? How would I respond differently if I was absolutely convinced that God was standing right there with me? Changes everything, doesn't it? I can see Joseph in this moment going, okay, God, I got it right. I've been bent. I got it right. Surely from this point on in my life, it's all going to be roses and butterflies rainbows and unicorns like it's just going to be fantastic right after all joseph's been bent we should be done right wrong listen to this verse 23 the chief cupbearer however did not remember joseph he forgot him ow i did the right thing god i did him a favor you know everything. You can't just like shake his head and like make him remember that little request of mine. You couldn't just whisper in his ear, hey dummy, don't forget Joe. He forgot him. I can just hear Joseph. I was humble. I was honest. I helped the guy out. I did the right thing. How many of us have ever said that? God, I did the right thing. Why aren't you remembering me? Here's the truth. Our faith is most deeply tested when we feel forgotten. Okay, story. When I was a little kid, my parents forgot me, okay? 
They're going to listen to this. Ernie and Shirley, I'm still bitter, just so you know, okay? All right? So I'm a Boy Scout. I'm a little kid. And I'm at the local mall, and we're doing the Cub Car Rally, which is like we do with Awana with the little woodblock cars, put the wheels on them, race them down the track, right? So we're up there at the mall, and my parents said, we're going to pick you up at 8 o'clock. I'm like, great. So the whole evening finishes, you know, and I'm sitting there with my car on a bench, and people are walking past, and the, and the mall's getting thinner and thinner with people, and it's like 8.15, 8.20, and then the mall's closing, and I'm freaking out. And a security guard comes up and says, young man, you like the, the mall's closed. You're going to have to leave. So I, I'm a couple miles from home, and it's like minus 4,000 degrees in the middle of a Manitoba winter, right? I'm going to be a cube by the time I get 10 feet out of the door. But I start walking home because I don't know what else to do, and I'm crying because I've been forgotten, and I'm thinking my parents don't love me. I'm an orphan. I never had parents. They're dead to me. I'm renouncing my last name, picking up new names as I'm walking down the street, you know. And then this lady sticks her head out, hears me crying, says, you know, are you okay? I'm like, I'm not okay. My parents forgot me, and she invites me inside. I'm like, I'm going to be a part of your family, right? Because you have cookies and you're nice and you would pick up your kid. You would not forget get your kid at the mall. And I just like, I, I, I was just, I was so utterly isolated and alone in that moment. At least I thought I was alone. Then this big purple car pulls up in front of that house. And my mom and dad come bolting out of the car. And all of a sudden it didn't matter who'd forgotten whom and all the rest of it. I just knew that my mom and dad were there and they were with me. I found out they'd been sick with worry. They'd just been at a different door. Sick with worry. Where is he? What's happened? How are we going to find him? You know, maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe you feel like you can't take it anymore. I have days like that. Not going to lie to you, I have days like that. Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, right? <laughs> you know? I have a verse in my Bible that I turn to every time I feel like God's forgotten me. Isaiah 42. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. Whenever I read that verse, I hear the same thing from heaven. I haven't forgotten you. I've never forgot you a moment of your life. And even though all of the circumstance around you may lead you to a different conclusion, what are you going to trust? Are you going to trust your ability to interpret circumstance? Or are you going to trust in the promise of an almighty God who said, I will never leave you or forsake you? You know, this week we're going to leave him just kind of hanging in there. The gift is in the right place. His heart's challenged, but this is what holds holding him together. Jesus, or Joseph is absolutely confident that no matter what's going on around him, whether he's been forgotten by people or remembered by people, that the one truth that's going to sustain him is the knowledge that God is with him. So we're back to our question again. Here it is. Again, week five. 
How would my life be different if I was absolutely convinced in every moment, no matter how good or how bad, that God was with me? So we look for Jesus in every story, don't we? And this week we find Jesus in the isolation. We find him alone. Joseph is in prison, seemingly forgotten. Jesus is on a cross, seemingly forgotten. And he cries out from the bottom of his heart, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me make sure we know this. Jesus is the only person in all of human history who's ever been forsaken. And the reason he was forsaken is because he was wearing the coat of sin, the coat of many colors that we all put on his back. And perfect God the Father in heaven had to step back and turn away with a heartbreak from His Son because He was wearing what we all put on Him. And He cries out, Why have you forsaken me? Why am I here alone? Where did you go, God? God, I did everything you asked me to and I am here alone. And we read that and we get stuck there. We get stuck there because we ask the same questions in different ways. Why me? Why don't you do something good for a change? It's not protection. It's got to be punishment. Why don't you just break through the clouds and, and, and save the day? We get stuck in exactly the same spot and we completely forget what Jesus said next and almost last as he hung on the cross dying for us. We forget what he said next. Father, into your hands do I commit my spirit. My future, my job, my family, my pain, my joy, my hope, my savings account, my children. Into your hands I commit my spirit because this is what is sustaining me. I am absolutely confident that no matter what may be swirling around me, this one thing I know, God is with me. We know Joseph stayed faithful because of what happens next in the story. You can read ahead because next week we're going to turn a corner. Okay? So you won't have to bring your medication next week um, because it's going to get a little better. We're going to find out that everything that Joseph's been through is preparing him for a very special and precious moment. And here's what we're going to find. We're going to find that when he goes from the prison to a palace, that he's still sustained by this one unbelievable thought that God is with him. Would you pray with me as we close? God, we've seen a picture tonight of Jesus committing his soul into his father's hands. We've seen a picture of Joseph just in the fact he was faithful in the prison, doing what God called him to do, right, with the people that he surrounded him with. God, we see him doing the same thing, just committing every moment of every day into the beautiful assurance that you're with us. So Lord, now I pray for each one of us, whether we're preparing this week to be baptized, whether we're trying to put a marriage back together again, whether we're 
looking for work or celebrating a promotion, God, I just pray for each of my brothers and sisters. I pray that no matter what it is that comes with us, that we would be absolutely confident of the fact that God is with us. I pray that that would change us, alter our responses and our reactions. Lord, I pray for everyone here who may be spiritually dormant right now and not using their gift. And the reason they're not using their gift is because they're waiting for God to show up and do something big. God, I pray that they would be faithful and do what you have called them to do, knowing that that's how you will show up big in their obedience and their faithfulness. So Lord, we love you and give you praise today. As the God who's sustaining Joseph, May we walk worthy of the same name by which he was called. The name of God and all God's people said.